Hello and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and now threads, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or a review wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you could share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can now support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to my page, cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, such as access to a private discussion group, access to bonus episodes, the ability to submit questions to interview guests, and more. Your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 45, the Billy Jurgis episode of this podcast. This is the second time he's been a part of these episodes. In episode 11, titled October 6th, The Ghosts and Goats of Baseball Past, I talked about Billy Jurgis missing the 1932 season and the subsequent World Series against the Yankees after being shot by a Chicago showgirl which may have played into both Babe Ruth's famed called shot and been part of the inspiration for Roy Hobbs in the book, The Natural. It was one of my favorite episodes to do, so if you haven't checked it out, I recommend it. Since I last recorded, we got to see a series win in the Bronx, a thrilling home run derby, Justin Steele pitched well in the All-Star game, and the Cubs opened the second half in very meh fashion. This weekend against the Cardinals will go a long way towards determining whether the Cubs are buyers or sellers. For today though, I have a very special guest, Greg Zumack from Northside Bound and the Cubs on Deck podcast joined me. He and I had a really enjoyable conversation about all things MLB draft. We talk about the Cubs draft picks, overall draft strategy, and how he approaches getting to know so many players and breaking it all down for his audience. It's a look behind the curtain today and one I think this audience is going to enjoy. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. So this week, I'm thrilled to be joined by Greg Zumack of Northside Bound and a regular on the uh, Cubs on Deck podcast. Welcome in, Greg. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Mike. This is, um, you know, I know we've talked about this for a couple weeks. You know, when can we come on, find a time to just chat about baseball? And it, this is a great time. So I'm, I'm just really looking forward to diving into it with you. Great. Well, this is going to be good. So we're going to talk a little bit about the draft, but what I really want to talk to Greg about is get into his process. Like, I know a lot of people that follow me are kind of baseball geeks and they're into the numbers and they're into the nerd stuff. And so if somebody wanted to really start looking at the 2024 draft, you know, how would somebody do it? What goes into putting those mocks together? So, um, Greg, you want to give a little bit of background first? It's first time on my podcast. Yeah. So I appreciate it. So, you know, this isn't my day job. This is just, uh, but I happen to have a little (laughs) bit of time today. And, and so what I'm passionate about is diving into baseball in, in a few different ways. One of them has been the draft. And that's a admittedly pretty niche topic, right? Like, if you look at the pantheon of baseball interest, a lot of it's obviously focused on the major leagues. <clears throat> and then you get a smaller section that's probably focused on the minor leagues, the prospects. And then, honestly, even a little bit smaller section is like the MLB draft. But it's always been an area that I've gravitated towards. And kind of like what you mentioned, I like to incorporate the numbers with some scouting aspects. Can't say I'm always perfect on it, but but that's the fun of it. And that's sure. that's really what I get so excited about with the draft is because in many ways it's a bit of a 
it's a bit of a challenge, right? Like you, you put your stuff out there this year and then you see years down the line, was I right? Was I a little off? Where mm-hmm. was I right? I reach out to people in the game and say, hey, like this is, this is my thoughts and, and I get some good feedback. So I like to incorporate all those things and I really just like to chat about baseball with, with folks online. I'm privileged to be able to do that kind of just in my off time and, and I've really enjoyed the conversations I've had with, with many of you, including you, Mike. Great. Um, so when you look at the draft, and you, you mentioned that it, it takes years to know how the Cubs did or how you did in your work, that um, makes it so different. Like NFL, NBA draft, you take that guy 1-1, he better be all pro or he might be rookie of the year in the NBA. Like that's going to be a major part of your team. Um, baseball, it's not that way. I mean, maybe maybe Pittsburgh with Paul Skeens taking him number one. He looks like somebody who, if he stays healthy, maybe shoots up the system quickly. But we're talking... I, I can remember Ben McDonald in my lifetime playing the same year he got drafted, and I'm not sure I can remember anybody else. Not many. Mike Leak, I remember, oh, that's uh, right. didn't go to the minors. Uh, that and I mean, it's just because his what we would consider like his floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so for anybody who's not super familiar with like the scouting frame, that just means, and this is good context for what we're about to talk about, but it's um, the the lowest expectation. Is, is a floor, the ceiling is, is the height, uh, you know, the peak, um, like I'm sure many people here listening to, to your fine podcast would, would know, but just for some context. And yeah, like it, it's a really interesting question because there's not going to be a lot of people that, that go straight to the majors. Um, but like you were talking about, I, I think it may take, may take years uh, mm-hmm. for many of them. Yeah. And one thing I've seen pretty consistently, I know Fangraphs has done a couple studies on it, when you look at the number of players who are drafted, now this is across baseball, not any specific team, a little less than 20% of guys drafted ever make it to the major leagues. Now, obviously, if you're a good org, you can be a little above that. If you don't have a good player development system or good scouting, you can be below that. But that tells me that on average with the Cubs, I would tend to think they have a little bit, a little bit better than average scouting and development. Um, they should probably be getting what? five to six players, maybe max out of every draft, eventually making it. And that's just making it to the major leagues and making an appearance. And and so when I look at the draft, like, I guess high level, let's start there. Like who from this draft do you see maybe being some of those four to five guys or six guys? So I've described this online a couple of times that the first pick it just in this particular year served as an anchor on that draft mm-hmm. and not in an anchor that it sunk the draft of course but an anchor is in <laughs> it, could. It, it yeah yeah it could you're right but um in many ways the cubs took a player in matt shaw he was a shortstop out of maryland i had the pleasure of watching him in omaha um not for the college world series but for the big 10 championship and you know while i don't think he ends up at shortstop i think the the bat showed you that he you know he's going to be versatile they've spoken about his versatility um he does everything you would want him to do. Uh, and despite the fact that Maryland's a really good hitting stadium, a, a hitting location, his home ballpark, he actually even hit just as well on the road. I, I hand calculated that. I'll have it for a piece, um, you know, give or take a, a percentage point. He, he basically was, was about the same hitter at home in a way and, and was the Cape Cod League MVP. So that's a wood bat league. I think you, when you look at who are the major leaguers that the Cubs got, I, I think that you have to start with Matt Shaw. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of development steps that he needs to make to not be a to to be a major leaguer. There's probably a little bit with his plate discipline. It's something the Cubs have talked about publicly. 
and you know very briefly they they didn't really harp on it because he he's pretty good at the at the dish but you know i think he stands to to make a little bit of improvement there and then ultimately just find out defensively where where you settle out but he's Mm -hmm. fairly quick mover i'm going to skip over the second player that they drafted just because i think there are some more questions but but uh not as high of a floor but potentially a pretty high ceiling we'll talk Mm -hmm. about him in a second but then they they drafted a few college guys in the three four five range that I think you have to look at and, and hope that you're getting major leaguers out of them. It's no guarantee, but shortstop, uh, Florida shortstop Josh Rivera, I'm a huge fan of. Again, saw him in, in Omaha. That was at the College World Series. Came away extremely impressed. He's a, a later age breakout, but definitely somebody that I that I think is, is worth watching, and he does a lot of things that you would want. Um, I loved him as a, a third-round pick. It just really... So happy. I don't even remember what I tweeted, but I think it was just like a lot of exclamation points and with Josh Rivera's name on it. <clears throat> Not very insightful, but I'm just, <laughs> I was very excited. So I really like that pick. Will Sanders was the right handed pitcher that they took just immediately after that. And he came into the season with some folks really thinking he was a first round caliber player. Mm-hmm. Um, very projectable, tall, looks like he can add some more strength to it. Uh, it probably fixes his fastball a little bit, optimizes it. I think he's a really, really great pick. And then Michael Carrico, who was a catcher at Davidson, does just it just has extremely good batted ball metrics. Um, and so the ones in particular that I look at are contact rate, some incorporation of exit velocity. It kind of depends on what I'm looking for, whether it's a, a max exit velocity. Uh, 90, 90th to 92nd percentile max exit okay. velocity. Some people kind of go hit or miss on on that one, uh, or an average exit velocity. And I, I would say his his exit velocity is maybe a smidge lower, but there were some reasons with, with injuries. But he does not chase the ball, which is another factor that I look at. And then he makes great contact. Um, and so, you know, he has a lot of the factors that those four, so one, um, three, four, five, are the ones that I would look at in, in particular. There are some folks inside the organization that are very high on their second round compensation pick, Jackson Wiggins. Mm-hmm. He's coming back from Tommy John surgery, but flashed some very, very elite stuff. He's probably the one that, that merits the biggest question marks, but mm-hmm. he's also the one that could reach a really high ceiling. And so when you anchor the draft with these other players that you're like, we feel really good that these are major leaguers, potentially even all-stars, but... We feel like we've got major leaguers out of this. We can take a chance here um, on on the ceiling of Jackson Wiggins. He's not signed yet, so I, I don't have any concerns there, but um, but that's one that I think will probably go down a little bit closer to the uh, July 25th deadline. Okay. And I think I've seen the Cubs have signed 17 mm-hmm. of their 20 so far. 17 and- of the 20. I believe we will have some more very soon, depending on when this drops. It looks like they've got some extra money for overslot. Mm-hmm. And I know like one of the was Zaire Hope, right? The guy that was going to go to UNC mm-hmm. is probably one guy who's going to get a chunk of that overslot money. I'd, I'd guess. Yeah. Um, so talk through the, uh, the money side of it. So I know every pick has a slot value you have a certain amount of money you're allocated um, to spend. And then I think you can go over, but there are some penalties involved. Um, talk through the, the slotting and how that works. <clears throat> Absolutely. So this is probably one of the biggest differences compared to something like the NHL, NBA, uh, NFL draft in which 
I know there's some variability there, but in many ways, it's it, the, these drafts. Like you get picked at this pick, this is what you're getting paid. Um, I'm not <clears throat> knowledgeable enough to know about the differences and how you hammer out a contract there, but by and generally, that's what you're getting paid. There's mm-hmm. not really much discussion there. In MLB, with very few exceptions, you each team gets what like you were describing, which is a slot value for a particular pick, and then for those ten first ten rounds, all of those picks together. That gives you what's called the bonus pool. And you can spend that money with, again, very few exceptions in almost any ways that you want. There are certain players that meet a particular criteria set forth in the new collective bargaining agreement that requires them to at least get 75% of that slot value. So you can't, like, offer somebody a dollar or a thousand or something like that and just pocket millions. But outside of that range, you can. And so the Cubs have... What, they've been very creative. They're, you know, maybe slightly above average in creativity as far as the the money. Some teams do are really creative. That can get a little wonky, <laughs> but in many ways the Cubs will will move money around or take players later in like the round six to ten range sometimes in which they offer players that are usually like seniors, uh, so they have less eligibility and they work out deals so they offer them a lot less. Riley okay. Martin was a, I believe, sixth rounder in 2021 out of Quincy. Uh, he's now in AAA Iowa. It looks like a phenomenal pick because what they did is they did give him $1,000, um, which is very low, and then used that money, reallocated it in many ways to sign James Torontos, would have been their, their big okay. overslot that year. Um, and so, you know, that's how you get that money. Um, and it's, they're not being cheap. It's it's not like it, it is not a well I think players should get paid more. It's not anything that's a surprise or, right. or putting people against the wall. You you work out these deals in advance, um, <clears throat> or certainly call call advisors and, and ask and stuff like that. But um, but you can save money and then you can reallocate it to what I was just describing, which would be those overslots. So like usually high school players, uh, but but just guys that probably should have gotten picked a little bit higher that you might quote unquote buy down uh, to your selection. Uh, James Trantos is a good example. Last year, uh, the Cubs did a underslot deal with Cade Horton, which mm-hmm. looks like a great selection. And then they turned around and offered Jackson Ferris like $3 million, which is way more than what his pick was suggested at pick 47. So it's, you know, it, they, they like to use a little creativity. Um, it's where you want just a lot of smart people in the room to be trying to hammer this stuff out and uh you know hopefully at the end you get a class that is really well balanced and obviously more than more than anything you just want to be right about the players well when you talk about balance so how much does the current state of both either the cubs major league team probably not as much or the state of the system are they trying to plug holes or is it a lot of just trying to get the best talent they can find well, I think it is a bit of both, which, you know, is always like the the, the cop-out. So I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. I, I don't think it's a lot at the major league level. I, I really don't. I, so getting to what you had talked about earlier, which is these guys are generally going to be taking a little bit of time mm-hmm. uh, in the minors. Like even your fast movers. Jordan Wicks in 2021 is in AAA. And I think he's almost ready. But, you know, it's not like he came up and filled the left-handed, uh, you know, fourth starter role you know, in a year or something like right. that. And and he was viewed as a, a relatively quick mover. <clears throat> so 
it's not as much about the major league level, kind of like what you were saying, uh, a little bit more about the minor league system, more so identifying certain traits. And so I think what the Cubs looked at this year is they really wanted to prioritize players that hit the ball very hard. Um, okay. And I don't mean to make that overly simplistic. I, I think that's in many ways what they did. They didn't have to do that. Your top few rounds is when you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck, so to speak. And right. so you really do want to just go best player available, you know, f- with regard to the slot bonus <clears throat> that you can get them signed at. But then afterwards, they, they were very deliberate in targeting certain players. And so you had like Johnny Long, who was a first baseman on Long, Long Beach. Um, you had Brian Comer. Uh, Carter Trice, Drew Bowser, mm-hmm. all those guys hit the ball really hard. They barreled the ball. They 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 got the ball onto the barrel very often. And so that's just a, a quality that, that does translate at the next level. And, and it's something that we saw the Cubs, they didn't take a lot of hitters in 2022, but the ones they did, like Hayden McGarry, Andy Gariola, they hit the ball really, really hard. And we're seeing mm-hmm. the effect of Hayden McGarry up in double a just oh, he's flying he up right now so hard so um <laughs> kind of a fun fun quality to target what have you seen over the last so i guess it, some of it plays into where you're picking too right so like when the cubs were in the early days theo when he was doing his rebuild the cubs hit on a bunch of guys because they were picking you know they got chris bryant at two you can go get the best one of the best players in yep. in the college game um how much does the strategy change when you're drafting at the top of the order versus like the Cubs were 13th this year? Hopefully at some point soon they start making the playoffs. Maybe they're back down in the you know 20s or ideally win the World Series and pick 30th. Um, I've got to think that kind of changes the overall strategy. Oh, without a doubt. And if for nothing else, just that you have no idea what the first 12 picks are going to do. And right. <clears throat> there are players that may not have been on the board. Uh, you know, I think that a lot of the feedback from fans watching, which was really exciting, but a lot of the feedback from fans watching was that a player that was viewed uh, as a pretty consensus, like top 10 player, Kyle Teal, was on the board. bring him up, so yeah. And that was a big, that was a big thing. Like, why did they pass on Teal? Well, you know, he signed a below slot deal with the pick after Boston. I think that should tell folks a lot of like, there might be something there or just maybe teams weren't as high. So, you know, don't, you know, don't freak out about that. Um, it's not like they passed up on an obvious talent, but in many ways it, it was, you don't know who's even going to be on your board. There was some chatter that Matt Shaw was even in consideration for some of the picks, like at pick six, at pick 10, um, that might've just been leverage for those teams to try to, mm-hmm. you know, get, get their guy to, to agree to a deal and a, a better deal. But I, I think, you know, that there was a real possibility that he wasn't going to be there. And then when he was, it was like, well, this is just kind of a no brainer, uh, to, to the Cubs brass, but it, yeah, your strategy has to change. Last year's draft 2022 was talking about, there was like some people in in the industry phrased it as like a really good top six when the Cubs were picking seventh. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I think that a lot of folks were kind of getting, upset about that and they ended up with with one of the players that if you were to do a redraft this early probably goes in the top like three or four probably and uh yeah in in kate horton and so you know you have to just kind of have your convictions on who you're taking right or wrong um it's worked out for some jordan wicks like looks like a solid pick uh kate horton obviously we don't know about matt shaw but you know no concerns here and and then unfortunately due to a, a 
injuries, some very freak injuries, um, you know, a really challenging 2020 draft. Uh, you know, Ed Howard hasn't progressed like you would hope so. And, and so, you know, you're going to have some wins and some losses. Um, mm-hmm. You know, hopefully he comes back and, and succeeds. But that's just kind of the nature of it. You you don't know who's going to pick in front of you. And then sometimes you just, you have a deal worked out with somebody like Horton. Otherwise, you, you might just take a guy that, hey, this guy shouldn't even be on the board. Let's just pop him. Yeah. So when you watch this year after year, do you see that certain teams have looked for certain profiles of guys? Um, and does, does that tend to hold pretty typical, especially for the teams that, you know, Tampa Bay does a great job. The Dodgers do a great job. The Astros do a great job. Um, they kind of have their profiles of what they draft for. Would you say their drafts look fairly similar year over year? Uh, certain qualities about them do. Yeah, they, they do. I'm trying to think about just a couple like really good examples I would say um let me pull one up here because I yeah I okay so this is this is probably a, a, a fairly uh decent one here but um the Rays took Braden Taylor uh and and Braden Taylor is a third baseman out of TCU he's known for a couple qualities one he makes pretty good contact two he's maybe not a sure bet that he's going to end up at third base long term um, but like third base, second base, he you know he's pretty solid, very technically sound, not a standout defensive player. And then third is he does mm-hmm. not chase the ball. And if you were to look at players that the Rays generally target, it's that they don't put as much emphasis on the defense, <clears throat> especially okay. at the corners. Like they've got Yandy Diaz, who who is technically yeah. sound, I guess if you're if you're feeling confident on that, um, but not flashy at third base. But but makes just wonderful batted ball profile. Well, Braden Taylor is a very very typical player for that, and so I would say that that matches up really well. Houston tends to take a lot of the same players every year. Um, you know, high school versus college, that's not as big of an issue. But you start to see these players that just make really big impact on the ball. Um, again, barrel uh, control and, and stuff like that. Well, they took Bryce Matthews who. He's one of the better examples within that range of, of somebody that, that does that. And so not everybody does, but I would say that there there are some trends. And so more than anything, not like this team won't take this profile, but you start to see teams identify like these are the profiles of players that we feel most comfortable with. And then you just, you know, you get enough data points and you kind of think like, all right, I think they they like this type of player or they feel more confident they mm-hmm. can develop that type of player. Um, and, and so, yeah, they, there are some examples there that kind of help when you're you know making mocks or uh, asking around or talking to scouts like, Hey, you know, he looks like your kind of guy. Um, does that, does that jive? Uh, and then sometimes they'll be like, yes. And then other times uh, they'll, they'll tell you no, or even more fun. They won't respond then, even though they normally do, which usually means like, Oh yeah, I think, I think that is their guy. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's just kind of the fun of, of looking at things before and then after. Cool. Um, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Got a little cough myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're looking at the Cubs profile, it seems to me, looking at the last couple of years draft, you know, Theo had his, I'm going to draft a college bat first, and we're going to get that up here. And the end result was they hit on a lot of top picks and... Yep didn't really do a ton else. Um, when you look at what Jed's been doing the last few years, it seems like they've been upping the velocity on the pitching staff and the minors. And you've mentioned already the less chase, 
more contact, more hard contact. Would you say those are the kind of the trends they've been going for? Yeah. I, impressive metrics. Um, and, and in many ways it's, I think personally now, I mean, the, the, this is the scouting department that's identifying these guys, but it, but it does all, it's like one team pulling the load, mm-hmm. uh, shared team is, is what I mean. So you've got the scouting department, you've got your player development, <clears throat> you've got obviously your upper brass who, who oversee everything and you've got your research and development and you got your performance science. And I, I might be missing one, but like, those are kind of your big buckets of, yeah. of groups of people and you want them to all align not saying everything's going to be perfect, but I would say that the feedback, this has been written, this is not anything that I'm breaking news on or whatever, but the feedback that in, in some of those early Theo years was those groups weren't all on the same page. Um, they definitely didn't have performance science. The research and development was fine. Uh, it was probably solid for a team of that era. Um, the pitching development wasn't, wasn't there. Uh, you had some some breakouts at the major league level, but you didn't really have like pitching development. Mm-hmm. It's just a different era of baseball. Yeah. But those groups weren't all pulling the same way, and I think that that left a lot of um, undeveloped talent. Uh, and so yes, you got like the Chris Bryant, Ian Happ, Kyle Schwarber. They just nailed those picks. But then you know the drafts at that time were forty rounds, and you really only got like maybe a, a player or two out of them. Mm-hmm. Well, short of your like five players out of a out of a class kind of a thing 20 percent and so i you know that that is here now the gist that i've i've gotten is those groups like to work a lot better um together and not saying and everything's going to be perfect but that there's a concerted effort to take guys that our player development staff feels really good that they can develop these things kate horton's a really good example he had really impressive batted, or uh, not batted ball numbers, um, but pitching metrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you dropped his pitching data into what we would call like a stuff plus calculator, mm-hmm. that um, that can give you a, a you know a numerical number. It's redundant, but uh, mm-hmm. but a numerical figure on like a, approximately how good the stuff is. It doesn't take everything into a play, but sure. but it gives you an idea. And his stuff was really good for his fastball and his slider. But he didn't have much else. And so what the Cubs did is they took those building blocks and they added, I think, a really good curveball and a very impressive like split change. I think the split change is a huge thing in his development. Simply put, I'm not confident that, A, they would have taken a Cade Horton in like a 2017, and B, that they would have been able to develop him in that way. Yeah. Now they could take those chances, and I think they're just leaning into the opportunity to find fun development paths and 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 try to reach them. Well, it seems like a, it would be kind of an obvious strategy because once you bring these guys on board, you want them to move through the system. I mean, you know, you're not going to get 20 major leaguers out of a 20 round draft. Um, there's going to be injuries; guys won't develop. Whatever the whatever the reasons are. Um, but and one thing, one guy I've heard you talk specifically about on your podcast on Cubs on Deck is someone like Hurston Waldrop, who yeah. kind of fell in the draft. And you were saying that a team taking him needs to have a very specific development plan for him. Like, get, get into that. And what do you mean by that? Yeah. So um, I'm not going to. So I won't. I won't speak to too many specifics on what I think that development plan is. But but I will. I will. I just mean conceptually. Like, what does yeah, a team absolutely. need? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he he has fastball. 
uh, that I don't think is going to play at the mid, at the pro level. And there's a few different ways that you can address it. But effectively, what he has is he comes into the draft or come into pros with certain qualities, right? And some of them are physical attributes, how well he moves. Well, he's very athletic. Um, how well he throws. And so then you break it into like different buckets. And he's got, you know, basically four main pitches. And he's got a few of those pitches that we would consider like plus plus. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, he probably has the single best pitch in college baseball and with his splitter. Nasty pitch. Unbelievably disgusting pitch. Like a 64% whiff rate. That's that's ridiculous. That's insane. And totally translatable to the pros. But you, it's going to be very difficult for him to be so reach his ceiling unless he specifically addresses a couple things with his fastball. And so that's what I think. There's a few different ways you could go about it. But if you're drafting Hurston Waldrop in the first round, and he did. He went to the mm-hmm. Braves which I think is really interesting, and I'm very intrigued. I'm going to dive in to try to figure out what I think they're going to do with him. But if you do that, then you want to make sure that as he comes into the pros, you already have a pro development plan. So you, you, you've probably talked to him. You give him all this information. You say, hey, this is how we're going to help you get from step A to step you know, C or mm-hmm. B this year, C this year, and then hopefully like D, E, F down the line, this is what we think we envisioned you as a major leaguer, but we got to break this up into different things. So this is what we're going to do with your fastball. This is what we want you to do with your splitter, et cetera, et cetera. And teams will do that with pretty much everybody. Um, <clears throat> not saying that like every 20th round pick is going to have a robust development plan for every sure. organization, but mm-hmm. I, I do think the Cubs do that. In fact, they were so deliberate about it that they will do that for their undrafted free agents. Um, okay. You know, and they're and they're very successful at it. Riley Martin bringing him back again. He's a 2021 guy, signed for a thousand dollars. Some organizations might have just been like, "Hey, thank you so much. We loved using your cash. Here's your chance. Go do it." You know, yeah. try to make these changes. But um, instead, there was a very deliberate plan, and he incorporated that slider, and he's a totally different pitcher. And now he's in AAA, and he could make it to the major leagues this year. So I think you just you you come armed with a lot of prep already for these players, and obviously you want them to buy in, right? That's a mm-hmm. huge component of it. Um, but that that way they 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 build and they grow, and you hopefully get the the best out of each individual player. Sounds good. Let's talk about so as, as you walk through the days. Obviously, day one is the first two rounds. That's where you, you definitely want to make an impact. You want to get guys that you see as future major leaguers. Um, Day two seems to be more about getting that depth, so hopefully you have more than one person coming up to the major leagues. Um, Let's talk about day three. I find day three fascinating because there are a lot of really good high school players that are set to go to top college programs. Um, Like Hope for the Cubs was set to go to UNC. Mm -hmm. I know UNC often keeps their guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you also have a mix of just like wild, let's take a shot. This guy has one thing that is off the charts and let's go see if we could do something with it. Like, how do you look at day three? I, I love day three. I think day three is probably the most fun. Um, maybe day two is fun too, but, but I really do enjoy day three because it, it's many of the qualities that you talked about, which is, you know what, you're taking, you're taking swings on mm-hmm. these players. There's no guarantee. There is less of a chance that they make it to the majors. Um, you may not even sign all these guys. Generally, mm-hmm. in your top 10, so that's day one and two, you, with very few exceptions, you're signing those players. And so 
day three, though, you're not always going to. I think it's possible the Cubs actually do sign all 20 this year, which is a little rare, but but it's possible that you don't, and that's totally okay. What you're doing, though, is you're, you're taking a chance. And so usually what you see is, is exactly how you described, where there's a couple guys, one, maybe one or two, that are what we would consider overslots, so somebody that probably could have gone in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, but they make it to day three, they're still available, you spend probably a bunch of time in the, at the night before working out general ideas that, hey, if we took you here mm-hmm. and we offered you this, is that possible? You know, talking with advisors and whatnot. And some of them, they're going to say, you know what, ask us when we get there, you know, because we may have a better offer, um, you know, or or it's it's very fluid. But, but in many ways that that's what you're doing the night before and then you're trying to firm up, you know, these. it's very much built on depth as well, though. Uh, kind of like what you were saying. So, you know, with the Cubs, they took Zaire Hope. He's what we would guess would be an overslot. We'll have to see when it all shakes out. Um, but probably an overslot if if he does sign. And he's indicated publicly he's signing. But, mm-hmm. and again, I, I think we find that out very soon, the next couple of days. Um, but he's, you know, he would be one that we would anticipate something like an overslot if, if it all comes together. And then... At that point, they, you know, the Cubs really pivoted to a lot of college, a lot of college depth, some, some intriguing arms. Some of them are just guys that should have gone earlier. Somebody like Sam Armstrong out of Old Dominion or Grayson Moore out of Vanderbilt. Just guys that, honestly, they were, to- if you had taken them in the seventh, eighth round, I wouldn't have blinked. I think it would have been mm-hmm. totally fine. Instead, they were just there and available, and, and the Cubs, you know, took a chance on them. Uh, and just that's just good value play right there. Mm-hmm. And others are, you know, they're they're total swing for the fences because you got almost nothing to lose. That like Daniel Brown, out of Campbell, a guy that pitched very little because of inconsistencies um, when he was on the mound. Though it was like crazy left-handed velocity, yeah. walked a bunch of people. I, I mean, it, it's it's to the point that there's like literally just. It, it's just a blank canvas. And so you hope that you take a chance there. And, and hey, if you get um, a really quality professional out of it, then and who knows? That's the kind of guy that could just skyrocket up there. Um, but it, day three is definitely the, the day for dreamers, uh, is, is how I've described it a few different ways. And, um, you know, you, you surround it with a lot of pitching. Uh, they, get, they landed some of my absolute favorite picks, uh, especially Drew Bowser in the 20th round, who we now know has signed just an inspired pick, uh, a guy that came, that was totally a first-round talent in 2020, told, told teams he's going to Stanford, and then, you know, a couple years later, it showed glimpses, just didn't quite work, uh, but the raw tools are there, and to take a day three pick on that, I, I mean, it, it just, it's so much fun. I, I've been cautious about him, because I wasn't sure he was going to sign, and he, he announced he's signing, and it's been confirmed with the team, so... That's great. Well, and that's one thing, I, especially when you get to the last few picks. If you've got somebody that is that blank canvas or they've got, you know, I mean, in Daniel Brown's case, there aren't a lot of lefties that can throw 101 miles an hour. So nope. let's take If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. That's fine. Um, but that, that's a lot of fun. So let's step away from this draft specifically a little bit. And I guess you're, you're probably in the decompression mode now. I know you had all the, the ramp up and all the mock drafts. And then last week you were making all the rounds on your podcast and making other appearances. Um, but when do you start looking at 2024? I've already been looking at 2024. Uh, it's a disease. No, I, no, I really do enjoy it. I actually started a little bit of prep 
earlier in the summer. So what I do is, is I get like a list together. Um, and I try to get like just this big list of names to follow. And there's a few of them that we already know are going to be bigger names for next year. So it's, it's, you know, those, those guys are pretty easy, Sure. but what I'll do is I'll reach out, uh, to scouts, uh, some other analyst writer friends and just say, Hey, like, these are the names that I've got. Um, you know, anybody I'm missing in your area or somebody to just, just kind of watch out for. And this early, I mean, you're not really worried about connecting teams and, and, Folks are totally willing to, to talk. In fact, many scouts will, will talk anyway. They, area scouts love to talk. But but you just kind of try to get a big list together um, and then get as many looks as you can on them. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to get live looks on folks. That's where the best kind of scouting is you can do or a combination sure. of video and live looks. I'm, I'm not able to do all of that, but I've gotten some live looks on some guys that are, that are already are, you know big focuses of mine. And then you know I just start pounding away, trying to dive into any data that I have, look at, uh, watch some video from a few different angles, different ways, you know, do the best I can. Um, I dive into like PG national, perfect game national is a big event that happened. Mm -hmm. It's like immediately after the draft, there is no rest for, for scouts. (laughs) Um, so I was already kind of That's right. Smack in the middle of the summer travel schedule. It it is. I I mean, it, to the point that at some point, MLB has got to reconcile where to put the draft to make it actually work out. Cause I, I think they've, I get, I get why they're doing it, but I think that's, they've put a lot of people at a big disadvantage players and otherwise, um, for the specific time of the draft and, and other aspects of the season drafting season, haven't been able to adapt to that yet. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it, you know, so I, I watch some of those events. Um, I reach out to, to, friends of mine that are at those events as well, uh, you know, scouts or otherwise, and just ask them about people that they like. And so, yeah, you just build out this consensus board and I'm hoping later this summer, I'll probably have my top 50, top hundred, not detailed reports on everybody, um, but just kind of gut feelings before we get into the season. Uh, and then you put that out there and then you get feedback from that. So it's just kind of a, an, an ever evolving process. Um, but it's a lot of fun, and I, I really do enjoy it. And if anybody ever wants to do their own, it's kind of the fun of it. You're just you're building this puzzle, building this picture that you know you won't even know what it turns out uh, until a few years down the line. But but it's kind of fun to put it all together. And if anybody ever wants uh, insider feedback or, or perspectives on it, you know, always reach out to me if you want to. Sure. So as you look at 2024, one thing I heard about the 2023 draft was that it was particularly strong, yeah. especially in college, and I think. COVID had a big impact on that. Um, I know my son played high school ball and graduated last year, not a not a major league draftable talent level. But having some kids he played with during high school go to play college ball and, you know, I, one of our friends lost his senior year and then was playing D1 and then sort of lost that because all the players that were expected to be gone were still there because, you know, yeah. everybody got the extra year. How far do you think that impact is going to last um, do you think we're almost out of it or do you think it's another year or two? No, I think, I think we are almost out of it. Uh, so there's some trickle down effects that's still there. You know, you get some, some folks that still get like an extra year of eligibility, um, cause of COVID, but that's kind of going away as people that are now moving out. Um, but you still do have aspects of, you know, folks may have gotten like a red shirt, eligible year as well. So, I mean, there's some of it, but we are moving a little bit away from the COVID impacts. What you are seeing now is the impact of NIL money. 
uh, transfer rules. Um, I, you know, I, I'm for anything that helps players get compensated fairly or as close Same. to fairly as they can. So I really have no issue with, with any of those rules. I'm not, I don't have enough information to know where I stand on like the nuances of them, but, but I think that those are having some pretty big effects on will players go to the, uh, to the pros, will they stay like an extra year, um, or, or even just go to college instead. And I think that's where we're going to see, start, start to see some more of that impact. Um, this, this draft is probably the big one since it's three years after the 2020 draft where a Mm -hmm. lot of high school talent that would have normally been drafted they they went to the you know to college and so that's where we saw just a really 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 deep class that you could take guys in the third fourth fifth round like the cubs did that i mean a couple years ago i i would have taken each and every one of them in the second and not really given it much second thought Mm mm-hmm well, and that's where I mean that draft in particular. We saw Matt Mervis signed, mm-hmm. and it's almost it's almost funny now, you know, undrafted free agent, which he technically was, but he's a guy that definitely would have gone on day two. I think for oh, sure. Yeah. I think he he got a ton Absolutely. of interest as soon as the draft was over. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's next for you? So as you head into, um, I know like the prep players are doing their their travel ball seasons right now. Um, the college top college players are doing things like the Cape Cod league and, mm-hmm. and all those summer wood bat leagues. Um, do you pay a lot of attention to those? I do. I, I'm not the, the Cape Cod league is one that I honestly just get, try to get some insight from folks that are there just because I think that there's a lot of aspects with it being a wood bat league that is really, really helpful to just get insights from, from people who can see it, who can hear it. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, it's just a little bit of a better way to scout it. But, you know, I'll, I'll look at video every once in a while. The, you know, the the summer leagues with the prep players is, is where I'm kind of focusing a little bit more of, of uh, my time, um, <clears throat> you know, in, in, in my off time. And part of that is because with college, too, I, I've been very blessed that some folks in the game have been willing to share some data just kind of off the record or, or, or just uh, at you know, I can share a little bit, but, but limited to like the, the players, the Cubs took or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, and with that, you can get a lot of information from that data and that the college level, you can get some more video with high schoolers. You may find that there's just a lack of a lot of that. And I'd like to get as much video looks as I can on them. And so that's, that's where I'm spending a little bit more of my time. You, you find those guys that maybe don't show up on a list right away. Mm-hmm. And well, picking like James Trantos as an example, this is a guy that reclassified to the 2021 draft. He was supposed to be in 2022, but he just showed out. Like he was just really, really impressive in these showcases. And to the point that he wasn't on anybody's top 100 board to start the year, but he ended it with a $2.1 million signing bonus. And I, that's the kind of thing that if you're focused maybe solely on, on some of the bigger pictures, sometimes you, you might miss those diamonds in the rough. And I just like to look for those because I think that's just a fun aspect of the game. Yeah. And I assume that that data, anything you can get with velocities, exit velos, get videos, you can see how they actually play. is such a big deal because when you go to the draft and you're trying to figure out you're doing a mock draft of you know 20 rounds for 30 teams, 
you've got JUCOs, you've got small colleges, D2, D3, small D1, you've got the the elites, the SECs, and the ACCs. Um, you've got high school kids. Like, you can't just compare stats. You know, a high school shortstop that hits 350 and a guy for Stanford that hits 350, it's not Very the same different. player. Yeah. No, you're, you're exactly right. In fact, so I have my own... It's pretty rudimentary, but it just kind of gives me a sense, uh, and I'm not a slave to it, but but I've got a, a draft model. And I think folks have probably had have far more advanced draft models, but it, it just kind of puts stuff into to context. And so when I have data, I can drop that in there. Uh, when I don't have data, I'll sometimes use production and then scale it a little bit based on like level. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it Again, it's very rudimentary. It's nothing fancy or pro level, but it just kind of gives me a sense for, for players. But it, it speaks to... Yeah, like the data, I think, is a little bit more transferable. Production, which is like what you're talking about with the stats and comparing them, are just so variable that it it's it can help. I think I think it can tell sure. part of the picture, uh, but it just it leaves a lot on the table, and and that's where some of the data helps to cut through a little bit of that if you trust the data. And I will say that that's a whole other ball game. Because you will get stuff, you'll get numbers that you're like, that doesn't seem right. And it turns yeah. out that their trackman wasn't calibrated. Uh, there, there's been instances, I won't bring up the specifics on that, but with even like very prominent players that were getting a lot of public comment about certain things that changed or whatever with their, their data. And it, it was just a bad trackman unit. Like it just happens. So teams employ a lot of people to clean data which is really mm-hmm. kind of fascinating uh, and, and not something I'm capable of doing. <laughs> <laughs> they, have, they have data analyst teams of data analysts with far more experience than I do. But, but in general, yeah, I like to have the numbers and, and just let it tell some part of the picture. Uh, but ultimately, you know, also kind of go with your gut a little bit because that's where the fun is. Yeah. Well, it's, to your point, I, I'm a Iowa grad, so I've, I've been watching Iowa play. So I, unfortunately, I saw Shaw's 507-foot mammoth home run. Um, big hit, yeah. It was a big, big one. Um, but to your point about the bad data, I was there was one game I couldn't watch, but I was tracking on Twitter, and I saw that Brody Breck threw 104, yeah. and eventually it comes out he didn't throw 104, yeah. but he's throwing 100, 102. So it, mm-hmm. like it's um, it's not the end of the world, but you do see some of those things flash, and all of a sudden for like weeks after, I see people referencing Brody can throw 104, like not really, but yeah, not really. Um, but I will say, you know, I mean, <clears throat> that's a that's a perfect example of, of something that. So when I was in Omaha watching uh, Brecht actually uh, at the Big Ten Championship, uh, I was, you know, maybe a few rows back or something like that, and and they they do a pretty good job of kind of showcasing a little bit of the data, so I was kind of tracking it so I could have an idea. And it was interesting because they, they have a very good calibrated system. In fact, I know the folks that, that work over there and they do, just do a great job. But that's like the amount of time and energy that it takes to get those systems up and set to make sure that you don't have, you know, I, I was didn't really talk too much of them, but I had like scouts left and right of me. And if they had had something that, that had popped like 101, 102 or something like that, that's a, that's a place that you could trust it. And so that would have gotten people on the phones. Like they would have been mm-hmm. texting scouting directors like, hey, like I know this 2024 guy, but like we got to keep this in mind. Um, and and it, it is really interesting how data can dramatically change how people view when it could be an isolated incident. You know, he could have just been feeling it that day. Right. 
but it but it also tells you that like hey if you trust it maybe that juice is in there so it's just it's just really interesting how like a couple data points can skew how people view a player um good or bad uh in, in the course of like a development cycle well, and how do you look at that when you're building your model? How do you look at that with, say, like a max exit velo? Yeah, because you, you could just you could run into one, have one that's off the charts, yeah. and you never get close again, or you could be Giancarlo Stanton and you've hit 15 balls a year, 120 miles an hour. It it's great. It's honestly it's it's one of the best questions that you can ask because I don't think that everybody feels the same way. There's some folks that put more of an emphasis on like max exit velocity versus average exit velocity, which tells you, hey, like mm-hmm. this guy's consistently hitting it over 92 miles an hour. Like that's what you want. Um, but in there's other folks that will tell you. But if I trust a max exit velocity and I believe it's a real data point, you know, not like a, a bad data right. point then I know that juice is in there and I just need to do what, what I need to do to get him to that. And so I'll tell you what I personally view on that is that for high school players, I care a little bit more about max exit velocity. I think average exit velocities is good. It's a very important data, but for high school players, if I can see that that juice is in there, then like, Hey, I'm not even running a team, but like I would view that, Hey, if we, we trust our development team to get to that juice more often, for college guys, I care a little bit more about average exit velocity. Mm-hmm. Or, and this is where that middle ground comes in with that 90th percentile or 92nd percentile at, uh, max exit velocity. What it's effectively doing is saying, we're just going to cut off the, the, the outliers. You know, okay. uh, Colton Ledbetter, uh, who was drafted this year, is a, is a good example. He had a max exit velocity of like 116, which is right up there with, with a bunch of the, the top players. But, like, that was an outlier. It, folks believed that that was a very real data point. It wasn't, mm-hmm. like, anything that was incorrect. But, like, it, there was that piece, and then there were, like, a bunch more that were much lower than that. So, like, he and did it once. He did it once, exactly. And so you're like, well, that's why I take that max exit out, and I just look at that middle ground. In many ways, what you're trying to do is you're trying to build an individual story for every player and you're going to look at different things. Now, teams can't always do that because they are pouring over thousands of players. Sure. But that's where you try to get the best uh, research and development folks, draft analysts, scouts, all of that to come together and try to paint that picture as well as they can. But it's also probably why, you know, sometimes you just miss on a player too, good or bad. Yeah. Um, but that that's kind of how I view it because exactly what you talked about. Like, he could have had one amazing day. That guy ate two bowls of Wheaties instead of one that morning and just absolutely cranked it and then he doesn't ever get to that point and it's just really really hard to know if that's a real thing or not yeah well I imagine that goes across the board on a lot of things so when you're evaluating a pitcher you know you want to see how the fastball plays you want to see movement you want to see command you want to see the off speed the breaking stuff like where the plus pitches are and I guess when you're looking at guys and kind of goes back to our ceiling versus floor discussion. Mm-hmm. You're looking for either something that's really plus plus, like, hey, this guy can throw 102. I think there's a good chance I can at least put him in my bullpen down the road. Or like like Jordan Wicks has that plus plus changeup. And if you can get that elite pitch, that one elite skill, you can build around it. Totally. I and in in many ways it also depends on what do you trust your organization to do. 
Uh, so with Jordan Wicks, they that was at a stage that they felt like, yes, okay, got the changeup. We already know that. We believe we can add a four-seam fastball that's going to play up at the top of the zone. <clears throat> we believe we can add a curveball. Ultimately, I, it's kind of been scrapped. Um, but we do believe we can add a sweeper slider, and he's recently added a cutter. And because of that, they felt like, all right, the blueprint is already here. We just need to build off of it. And not every team is going to feel the same way on that. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, like that's what you're kind of looking at. You look at who, what is the player in front of you? So like we talked about Hurston Waldrop earlier. So what is the player in front of you? What does he do well? Where does he need to fix? And <clears throat> teams are going to feel different on those things. But like that's really where it comes down to like trying to put all of those pieces together. Like how is the athleticism how is the pitch movement? How's the pitch velocity? And then are there areas that we can fix or address? Because there are very few players that are done or basically done developing. Mm-hmm. I would say Dylan Cruz doesn't have much development. Wyatt Langford doesn't have much development. Surprisingly, I would say actually Paul Skeens has like an area that I would address uh, specifically related to potentially adding a cutter okay. uh, to his profile. I think he would just, just soar. Uh, and I think he's totally can do that. I could be completely wrong on that and look, yeah. you know, foolish. But but like, even somebody generational has some steps. And so, do you feel like when you watch them as a scout, that your team can then take those steps? Um, you know, that's kind of the the fun of it. So you probably put yourself. So let's now talk through going through the mock draft process. Mm-hmm. So you did what three full versions. Um, yeah definitely not time consuming at all oh uh, yeah no totally they <laughs> knock them out in like 10 minutes actually a lot of the formatting is what usually of the first one takes the most time uh after that, that it's it's not too bad but but no they yeah i mock drafts are a lot of places use them for clicks i i have no issue with people who do that um i don't like to do that i i had requests to put up a couple more mocks from just like fans and readers and i always appreciate that but i just didn't have any changes and so i just yeah. didn't do it until till the the end there when when things were kind of moving but yeah mocks are fun because it the reason that i like mocks is not just because you know that they're they're fun to do to guess but also because it really is the best way that i have found to get people talking about the draft especially specific players mm-hmm. and so if I did something um, and I put out rankings, which I've done before, and I'll do for this year as well, yeah, chances are people aren't going to really be all diving into like the 60th guy that I ranked. Right. But if I have something at pick 23, uh, I have Cleveland Guardians fans in my DM saying like, hey, tell me a little bit about, you know, Colt Emerson oh, or, cool. or something like that. And and that's where it gets really fun because then we can just talk baseball and and even if that pick is, is wrong, it, it doesn't really matter. Especially early in the year, we don't know anything. Right. It's more about identifying trends uh, historically, kind of like what we talked about. But it, it's a really good way to just get people talking about the draft, and, and I love talking about the draft. So do you go back, um, are you going back and looking at like, how long How long have you been doing this, 2018? No, uh, 2021 is uh, okay. when I put my first ones out there, yeah. Um, do you go back and so you're still tight in it? Do you want to go back and look and see not only how did I do in terms of predicting it, the actual picks that happened and that's a wild crapshoot, mm-hmm. but also then how did 
the players I had ranked highly or lowly, like how did they, how did that translate? Like where, where, where are they oh, now? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I will say it's a little bit early in some of the ones and 2021 yeah. was like my, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't very practiced. I, that one I barely talked to anybody in the game uh, up until the very end. And, and then I started to get, get some folks who were really very nice and, and considerate and giving me their thoughts. Um, so yeah, yeah. I like to, I like to look back because I'm going to totally make a lot of incorrect ones or sure. read the tea leaves wrong or you know just get fooled on a smoke screen which which happens uh, it happens to teams so i don't really feel too mm-hmm. bad about it but i like to look back on things so in 2021 actually mock wise I, I think i did fairly well a lot of it's just getting lucky at the beginning but i had read the tea leaves i think right that the pirates they really wanted to save some money and Henry Davis made the most sense to me when I kind of went through the board on that. And so that's what I went one, one with that was a relative surprise, but to me that meant a lot of sense, you know, those next few times I'd, ah, you know, that this year was really, really tough because the pirates were negotiating right to the end. And yeah. ah, if you had told me Max Clark or Wyatt Langford, and we were pretty sure it wasn't going to be Dylan Cruz, you know, Paul Skeens was another option as well, and they ultimately popped him. But I love to look back on rankings, and if I understood certain aspects that the teams look at for players, like we talked about, um, and, and I like to look back and reflect on those. And mixed bag, but I think some teams I get a little bit of a better picture on as, as, as we go mm-hmm. along. And so usually based on like historical trends on what they look for, been, you know, not bad on that. I, I usually get right around that kind of idea, whether they take the pick or not, you know, not not feeling too bad on it. Love to look back on rankings, though. I'm a firm believer in how did I rank a guy? What was I seeing? What did I miss? Good or bad? And that's where I think everyone that is in this kind of field or industry should always be trying to do some quality improvement and refine their game, so mm-hmm. to speak. And and so yeah, like I so totally not a finished product. I like to put out some really good stuff, but but also always trying to get better. Um, and so when things calm down after the draft, and when there's no negotiations going on, and when you know you don't want to interfere in any of that, I like to reach out to people in the game and say, hey, these these were the guys that I put out there. This is the things that I thought. You know, was I right? Was I off? Was there something like in models that, that knocked guys down? Um, I'll share this. I, I had a player that I was very high, and I won't share who the player was, uh, but reached out to certain people in the game, and they were like, yeah, no, he's, he's good, but he's he's not going to rank as highly as you think. Um, and haven't gotten all the details on that, but mm-hmm. ultimately that actually jives with, with where it ended up. And so it's just kind of one of those where I always trying to get to get better. The teams are armed with a lot more information, and so sure. I can always learn. But yeah, it's just you got to have some fun with it. And then do you go back and look at your model and, and update your model a little based bit. on new yeah. info? Within the confines of, like if there's a player that it's like, oh, well, this guy's chase rate in high school showcases is, is too high. I may just never have that data, and so I don't want to yeah. like put too much of an emphasis right. on it. But yeah, yeah, like I, I do. I also though don't want to just focus only on mirroring what teams do because obviously they're better. But like, the fun of it is being able to say these are my guys, and maybe I'm even right, and maybe they're wrong. Um, but a good example of that is like Drew Gilbert last year. He went to Houston mm-hmm. late. I would have taken him in the top ten. 
Wow. I, I, okay. He was my dark horse top 10 pick. Uh, he and Zach Neto were what I call gut feel guys. And so I would have taken him in the top 10. And now he's in double A and, and doing really well. And so I, I might look good on that. Um, maybe down the line, who knows? But that's the kind of thing where I don't want to change my model to just only be what teams do. Mm-hmm. But I like to... I like to, of course, stay up to date with with how folks feel. Uh, certainly. Well, another question for you is, as I watched the evolution of the game, so the 2016 Cubs, you yeah. know, they won a World Series. They were pretty good. Yeah. Um, but the game was changing underneath Theo, and I think he didn't react to it fast enough. Yes. Um, do you try to take that proactive look? And in some cases, it might be rule changes. Like there were obviously a bunch this year. Mm-hmm. Um, going forward. I imagine part of the trick for all the front offices is to try to stay ahead of that curve. Player development really came and grew, I won't say out of nowhere, but it became suddenly super, super important to a few teams and it showed obvious dividends. Um, like what, what do you do to try to factor in some of those kinds of things that aren't maybe as obvious and aren't stats driven? Yeah, I, no, I totally, totally try to. So it's, it's one of the reasons I had Enrique Bradfield Jr. ranked a little bit higher uh, than some folks, um, and it's partly because the way the game is trending, favoring athleticism and speed and defense and contact, that yeah, I I think that that's going to be really undervalued. I think the the Orioles got a slam and pick at pick seventeen. That again, that's probably somebody I take in the top twelve, just because I think the value is there. Now he's not somebody I take in the top four or five, but but like that's mm-hmm. the kind of thing where I. My personal view is I think some teams were a little soft on that if you feel like you can retool the swing. So that that is trying to anticipate what's going to happen in the game. There are certain pitches as well that if I think that a pitcher maybe has a certain profile that at the end of the day, you know, the game's kind of moving away from that profile, I may not, I may not like mm-hmm. that player as much. It's all educated guesses or as educated as I can get it. Um, I tend to favor splitters. Uh, I really like splitters or split changeups that stay off the barrel. Um, they're called they would be like barrel suppressors, uh, mm-hmm. especially if they can generate whiffs. I think the game is moving to that in the short term, not as a splitter revolution, but that I think that there's going to be a lot more of them. There already kind of are, and so those are those are pitches that I tend to favor. And then trying to guess what's after that, honestly, that may be out of the scope of what I can do. Um, at this stage, but but that's kind of, yeah, I'm trying to anticipate what I'm guessing the game in 2026 is going to look like, mm-hmm. and, you know, we'll see when we get there. Yeah, because the big sweeping slider was, a, you know, it's been a the, the rave pitch yep. over the last, what, three, four years. Yes. Um, I think the splitter's coming next. Mm-hmm. What do you do with guys like, and we use two Cubs examples, so on the one hand, you've got Justin Steele, who's just killing it right now. Uh, really on two pitches, which I think yeah. five, six years ago, you, you would have said, this guy's only got two pitches. He's going to wind up in the bullpen. And then the other one I'll throw, and you can speak to both, is someone like Kyle Hendricks. I mean, he mm-hmm. he's already kind of an exception, a bit of a, I won't say unicorn because there are other guys like him, but he has to rely so heavily on command and location and changing speeds, getting away with it without throwing 90 miles an hour. Um, how do How do you look at those guys in the draft, and how do you – start to split out which ones you think might succeed versus ones that you know, just don't have the stuff. Totally. So I also try to look just because I focus mostly on the Cubs, but but in the draft, I mean, I look in general, but um, I try to anticipate what type of players the Cubs have had success with in the past. And Justin Seals is a really good example of somebody that's that's very unique. In fact, I would say he is the unicorn 
Okay. Um, his fastball certainly is. Uh, some folks will argue it's a cut fastball. Others don't. He calls it a four seam. At the end of the day, it operates with what we call heavy gyro spin, mm-hmm. which is a unique type of spin where there's a lot of spin on the ball, but that spin doesn't convey to movement. And so it, sometimes you describe it as like bullet spin. Mm-hmm. And it's a very unique pitch that we've done some research on. We, as in um, my colleagues at, at Northside Bound, we've got some further work beyond that that, that we're going to hopefully wrap up this summer which evaluates those particular type of fastballs. And it turns out that they're, they're special and they act in a way that suppresses damage more than most pitches. And, and so it's not something you can just teach everybody. And so it's, it is that like special quality that Justin Steele has that, you know, he's got two pitches, but in, in many ways he kind of has like three or four just mm-hmm. with the way he throws them and the way he utilizes them. It's really hard to try to imagine that in the draft. Right. Better folks than I probably can. But I, I do try to look at, is there something about, I guess I'll describe it this way. Hitters will tell you how successful a pitch is. That's true. If you watch their reactions to, and this is why I like to do in live looks if I can. If you watch them and they're just like, just befuddled during these at-bats, there might be something under the radar that you're like, hey, this doesn't jump off the board with a with a Stuff Plus model, but it's like, um, the hitters are telling you it's not an easy game. Like, they're having trouble here. And that that's what prompts me to try to dive a little deeper. Uh, Kyle Hendricks is a unique example, obviously, kind of similar. I think these are great examples you brought up um, in the sense that Everything just needs to be clicking perfectly, but when it is, mm-hmm. he, he's been one of the better pitchers in the league over the last 10 years, mm-hmm. but it is it is also something that you need to have the right person uh, that can execute it, and, and yes. Kyle has. Well, and he lives on the razor's edge. Like when he, mm-hmm. when he was hurt and the velo was down, there mm-hmm. wasn't as much separation between fastball and change. Yep. He got lit up. He did. You're right. Um, I think I have one more question. I guess I'll just throw it out there. Who are you most excited about from this draft? Uh, for the Cubs? Yeah, for the Cubs. Yeah. Fun question. Uh, I think it's the three, four, five guys. I think it, that that's how I'm going to describe them for a while. I think it's Josh Rivera. I think it's Will Sanders, his pitcher. So Josh Rivera, shortstop Florida, which we talked about earlier. Will Sanders, pitcher uh, at four. And then Mike Carrico at five, uh, the catcher, Davidson. And I just... It was like, those are some of my favorite players in the class. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe they went 3-4-5 to the Cubs. And I just, I loved it. And That's awesome. I was just so happy about it. <laughs> and there, they, there are other players that might uh, bypass them, but I think that's just a healthy form of competition. And But yeah, I was just pumped when they picked them, and I'm just going to stick with those guys. One to end, I'll go. We, we talked about them a little bit earlier, but uh, I'm an Iowa Hawkeye. I'm mm-hmm. actually from the same hometown mm-hmm. as Brody Brecht. So mm-hmm. um Way too early, but where, where do you see him going next year? Yeah, it, I've been thinking a lot about Brody Brecht because when he is on, he will show you th- that is top five overall type of talent. Um, I think if he is able to maintain consistency, he is a top 10 player in the class next year. Mm-hmm. If he does not maintain consistency, then I think you see him look a little bit more like, 
Hurston Waldrop's not even a good example, but maybe that range, okay. you know, which is somewhere in like the 20s to 30s, where a guy with supreme stuff falls to a team that is just, it's one of the better teams, excuse me, and usually one of those better teams, like the Rays, the Dodgers, you know, et cetera, Blue Jays, have a really good pitching development, and those players usually don't keep falling because they mm-hmm. look at that as a unique opportunity to take a guy with frontline stuff. But I don't know. Let's just say I'll just give you like a number. Um, Wherever the Cubs pick, right? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, let's say like fourteen, fifteen, something okay. like that. Yeah, because I mean, watching him, <clears throat> I didn't see all of his starts this year, but I saw several. I, mean, mm-hmm. I watched him. He dominated LSU. Yeah, he was on that day. I think he had twelve strikeouts in five innings, something like that. Um, and then other days, just a walk fest. Just couldn't. It, it was. Or, and, or he'd be effective, but he'd run up his pitch count so high he's out in three and a half or four innings. And that was the game I saw in the Big Ted Championship against Indiana where I thought he was going to be out after two. Uh, I was pretty sure He really sure battled in that one. Is what? He really battled in that one. He battled. And, and I wrote this in some kind of a, a write-up uh, that was just, I, I think it'll be out. Oh, or maybe, it, maybe it was already just live looks and, at folks. Um or it'll be out in a separate piece. I think that's what it is later this summer. But but I wrote this, so coming attraction, I suppose. And the pitcher that he was in innings one and two is very, very different than the pitcher he was in like three, four, and part of five. And it was just it was just really impressive how he battled. And I you're not gonna have it every day. Obviously you want to mitigate those kind of days, but it was still amazing that I I just we just kept going through the game and I was like, oh my gosh, he's still in and he's mm-hmm. like being successful. Now it's it wasn't looking pretty. The yeah. stuff looked amazing. Location was off, but yeah, he really battled and and it was a very successful outing. Yeah, I would agree. Um, well, thanks. This has been a great discussion, um, Greg. Where can people find you? So you can find me at Twitter for as long as that's around <laughs> at Ivy Futures. Uh, please reach out if you have any questions. I will say that not to like harp on Twitter, but. They're having issues with like DMs that aren't always coming through and there's like yes. settings that keep changing. So, you know, feel free to DM me if you ever have questions or, or want to talk about baseball. Um, if I ignore you, please do just honestly reach out in like a reply, something I assure you it's not intentional unless you're yelling at me for some reason <laughs> and then I might ignore you. But uh, those are few and far between. So, yeah, reach out anytime or, or just jump on there. Um, you can also find my work at Northside Bound. Uh, which is a, a place where we talk primarily about Cubs prospects and, and the MLB draft as well. But just a just a fun place to talk baseball. And, and Mike, it, it was a real pleasure to, to talk with you today about this. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk again between prospects or who knows, hof- hopefully not the trade deadline so much, but I guess yeah, we'll see how we'll the next week it. goes. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Greg. I right, appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. If you like this episode, please drop a rating and a review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and threads, all at CubsPS Plus. And check out the Patreon page, CubsPSPlus.Patreon.com to help support the show and keep it ad-free. This is Mike Waller, host of the CubsPS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!